Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you've joined us again today as we try to answer some of your questions about the Bible. That's all we do on this program is take viewers' questions, try to find answers in the Bible to them. Uh, you might notice there's a phone number and a website on the screen. Use either of those anytime you want to to get in touch with us and tell us what you'd like us to talk about. Uh, we get real detailed questions about this verse or that doctrine or this topic. Uh, is that in the Bible or what does this mean? Uh, we get a lot of life questions also. People uh, struggling with family problems or finance or all kinds of things that happen in this world. Uh, maybe just some news items that you say, I wonder what the Bible says about that topic. Uh, we'll try to find answers to uh, for any of those kind of questions for you and help you know your Bible a little bit better. Toby Levering's with me today to help answer some questions. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. I'm uh, studied up a little bit and hope we uh, can answer some of your questions today. But we always start with one for our audience. So here's yours today. How many wise men visited baby Jesus? And uh, we'll answer that for you at the end of the program. See if you and your family got that one right. How many wise men were there? All right, Toby, I think it looks like you got number one, so yes, sir. kick us off here. A little bit of a dating relationship kind of question. Uh, does the Bible offer any advice on finding a soulmate? Well, I know the Bible does not offer any direct advice on finding a soulmate. Even the idea of a soulmate, that there's only one person out of all the people on earth that is you're destined for and so forth. Uh, very romantic notion makes for a good movie or a good book, uh, but not in the book, I'll say. Um, uh, in fact, the Bible says really very little about how to go about picking or who you should pick. There's some interesting stories in the Old Testament of how folks picked uh, uh, their spouse and so forth, but uh, those certainly are not meant to apply broadly. Uh, I will say that the Bible says if you're a Christian, you ought to seek out a, another Christian because you're uh, having such a basic understanding of who God is, what His Word says, and how it at what its place is in your life and the Lordship of Christ this is very important. If you marry someone who is not under the Lordship of Christ, you're working from two very different perspectives in life and that will make your marriage much harder. So if you are a Christian, you ought to seek someone out who is also a Christian, who loves the Lord, who wants to, to, <coughs> to serve Him and wants to live by His Word. Uh, other than that, the uh, Bible kind of says some general things. You shouldn't marry somebody who's already married, uh, even if you think they're your soulmate. Uh, that's called adultery, and that very much condemned in the Bible. Uh, you need to marry somebody who's uh, uh, old enough to get married according to the laws of your state, and you only get to marry one person. Uh, but that's other than that, the Bible kind of leaves it open for you to use your free will and your reasoning brain and the heart that uh, helps you think you found the one. Uh, I will say that uh, generally the largest cause of divorce has to do with uh, money, sex, or the in-laws. 
And so whoever you find, when you find that special person, it gets real serious. You ought to have some uh, premarital counseling from a Christian counselor or uh, uh, your minister or something. That would be very much helpful. Just help prepare you for the realities of marriage. Think through those things together and work on them. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I'll say 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love is patient. Love is kind, love does not envy or boast or is arrogant, it's not rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful. Uh, these are good things to look for in a person you would consider marrying, someone that you want to share this journey of life with. Uh, just go back to 1 Corinthians 13 again and again and say, does, does he or she match up to what Bible, uh, the Bible description of true love really is. Uh, let's finish by looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, which just alludes to what I uh, spoke of earlier. The Apostle Paul writes to Christians at Corinth, he says, Do not be yoked together with unbeliever, uh, unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have in, with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Uh, outside of that, uh, the other principles we've given you hopefully will help you, but the Bible doesn't really give us a idea of a soulmate, sorry to say. Okay, that was our <laughs> brief advertisement from soulmate.com. <laughs> hope that helped. Uh, oh well. Okay, if you wants to know about the uh, story in Acts about the jailer, and the question is, <clears throat> why does Acts 16.31 say the jailer's whole house will be saved if he believes? So if I understand our viewer's question, he's saying it sounds like uh, all Cornelius had to do was, uh, the jailer, I'm sorry, different story, uh, all the jailer had to do was believe, and then everybody in his house would be saved. Uh, obviously, that's not the way salvation works. It's an individual thing. It's based on each person's response to the gospel. But let's read the verse and make sure uh, what our viewer is asking here. Uh, Acts 16.31 says, uh, <clears throat> They replied, <clears throat> Now remember, this was after the prison earthquake and the jailer was about ready to kill himself and uh, the boys, the apostles came out and said they were alive. Don't kill yourself. And he said, what do I have to do to be saved? He wanted to be like them. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Okay, that's where our viewer read it and stopped reading. Uh, what he needed to do is go to verse 32. And it says, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. Okay, so the opening statement was a very broad question. He says, what do I have to do to be saved? And their basic answer was, well, you believe what we're going to tell you, and that'll work. It'll work for you. It'll work for your household. Uh, anybody that believes what we're going to tell you, then they told him. So uh, when they said believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't even know who the Lord Jesus Christ was. He didn't know what to believe in. But then they taught him the word of the Lord. Now, what they told him was about how man is sinful and God sent Jesus to earth to die for him. Jesus died on the cross and paid for his sins. Uh, that blood will cure, uh, save you from your sins if you believe that there's power there. If you believe that that's the true story about Jesus Christ and do what he says, 
uh, he had to preach about baptism because immediately after he told them uh, the word of the Lord, they were all baptized. So uh, he told them the story of Jesus, the gospel message, and they believed it. They obeyed it. They responded to it, and they were saved. So uh, if you stop reading one verse too soon, uh, no, one person believing doesn't save a household. Good question. Appreciate it. Uh, each person's responsible for their own response. All right, Toby. Lawsuits. I'm sure, if we got a malpractice question here, a viewer asked the question, what does the Bible say about suing someone, like a, a surgeon who made a mistake? <clears throat> well, there is some specific instruction in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where Paul is addressing the Christians at Corinth, and the problem was they were just setting a horrible example of what Christians ought to be uh, because they were supposedly all went to church together and then they were, you know, during the week dragging each other back and forth to court, suing each other and so forth. And Paul said, this is a, well, you're sending the wrong message here. We're supposed to be one in Christ. Uh, so let's look at the scriptures, specifically 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. He says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you mean you have already been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. And so he's, he's getting at something that, that was a, a deeper issue than the lawsuit in and of itself. Um, so this is an instance with Christians taking other Christians to court, and in general Paul says, we ought not to do that. We, we should handle our disputes with one another and among one another and not drag the church into the world to settle our disputes is kind of what he's getting at. <clears throat> so in, in terms of your specific situation, I can't say if that applies or not. I don't know if the surgeon goes to your church or if you know him personally, if you know if he or she's a, a Christian. Uh, that that's would play into some of those things uh, very much so. Um, so I'm going to give you some general principles here and hopefully they'll be helpful uh, to you. Um, first thing I would say is uh, this is the opportunity to show this doctor, this surgeon, Christ, uh, to show how a Christian responds. Uh, he may have made a genuine mistake or he may have been absolutely negligent. Um, and uh, it's difficult because doctors, we live in such a litigious society, they get sued all the time. Uh, one of the most major expenses that especially surgeons have to pay for is malpractice insurance because uh, they just will get sued for anything. And most of the time, most of the time, but a lot of times people are just looking for a financial windfall, uh, be able to sue these doctors who make lots of money, and uh, they think that's an easy way to do it. And unfortunately, that's the way our old world works. So if you're seeking out a financial windfall, uh, don't do that. Now, if this person has made a mistake and it's caused you medical problems and you've got some real difficulties, maybe some lifelong things you're gonna be dealing with, you got to work those things out. And I'm not saying the surgeon um, shouldn't uh, help with some of those things, but be reasonable about it. Don't just say, oh, I'm going to go get a lawyer and sue you for everything you got. So uh, try to work it out with the doctor first. Practice the golden rule. Treat others like you'd want to be treated. Remember that surgeon as a human being. Um, and if that isn't going to work, if they're just going to be unreasonable, then you may have to find someone to help you out and get legal counsel. That's 
not an unreasonable thing to do, but uh, try to go about it the Christian way first. Uh, seek only real damages and not a financial windfall. So those are some principles. I'm not sure 1 Corinthians 6 applies directly to you, but that's the scripture that you ask about. So uh, I hope that is useful in your situation. <laughs> it's hard to answer questions like that. Absolutely. Because we we don't know any of the story or yep. any of the circumstances, but those yep. were some good generalities at least. Uh, Paul's advice there about <coughs> lawsuits is more about our influence among the world yeah, yeah. and how, how we look to the world. Uh, if you and I live next door to each other and you built a fence that was three inches too far over on my property and I took you to the court and tried to sue you, uh, people in the neighborhood would look at us you know, and think, well, this is a fine bunch of Christians here. Uh, it just wouldn't look good. So that's the kind of thing Paul's talking about is, no, don't be doing this. Uh, settle things. Uh, get another Christian to help you decide on that and settle it. But it doesn't say don't sue anybody anytime. Right. Uh, yep. Sometimes it's necessary. And when somebody's really been damaged, uh, we, we have, need, to, do have yep. to do it. All right, let me uh, tell you about a good way to study the Bible. We talk about the Bible a little bit for 30 minutes each week, uh, but we think there's more in the Bible than we can ever get to in just the few questions we have each week. So we advocate home Bible study, and we've got some ways to help you. We've got some free materials that we're happy to send you. And uh, it's hard to get started in Bible study. Some people say, well, I'm going to learn more about the Bible. I'm going to sit down and read it. Well, the first few chapters are really interesting, and it's, then life kind of gets to bogging you down, and then you get over in Leviticus where it's a whole bunch of rules and regulations for the priests. Uh, you say, boy, I don't know if I can keep this up or not, and that's a lot where a lot of people give up. Well, that's one way to study the Bible, but there's other ways, uh, and we've got some other ways, and this course you see on the screen is one way. We'll send you that first lesson about the Old Testament and you sit down and read it and read the parts of the Bible that tells you to. And when you're done with that, you'll know a lot about the whole Old Testament and who wrote it and why and what the contents are and what the message is. Uh, you'll fill out the answers to a few questions to make sure you read it right and then uh, mail it back to us. We'll score it and send you lesson number two, which will do the same thing about the New Testament. Well, right there in those first two, you've learned a huge amount about the Bible. Uh, so that's a way to study the Bible. We found it very successful. We've had thousands of people go through it, uh, call us or write us and tell us how much they enjoyed it. So it's open to you, free to you. Phone number, website are on the screen. Use them anytime. We'll get you started on uh, some Know Your Bible study tools. And we've got more advanced ones beyond that first course. Keep you studying for quite a while. All right, question about praying here. Viewer says, when praying, should you pray out loud? Is there any form that's best? Uh, hands folded, eyes closed, etc. All right, of course, that's what we teach little kids so they concentrate better. We tell them, keep, fold your hands to keep them from messing with brother or sister and close your eyes so you don't see everything else. Uh, and that's a good way to pray. Well, it is a good way to pray, but it's certainly not taught in the Bible that it's the only way to pray. Uh, if you go through the Bible and look for positions in prayer, you'll find people standing and, and walking while they're praying and lying down and prostrate on the ground. 
in bed watering their bed with their tears is one case of David. Uh, you find all kinds of cases, uh, positions, I guess, in prayer. Uh, people kneel, people bow, people lower their heads, people lift their hands toward God. Uh, a lot of things in the Bible. So there is no one set way to do it. Uh, about the only specific advice we have on prayer is some things not to do. And I think that's the important thing. Let's look at that in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6, Jesus' advice on prayer. He said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And that's the key. They were praying not for their relationship with God. They were praying to be seen by others, to look religious. They had certain times of day when they were supposed to pray. And so what Jesus is saying, these guys would watch their watch and make sure they were close to Main and Broadway when the prayer time came. And there was a big crowd around them. And they could stop and they could make a big show of praying. And he said that was their reward. They wanted people to see them. And he said, don't do that. In fact, he went on and said, go into your closet. Uh, go where nobody can see you and pray. Well, that's one way to pray. Uh, back to our viewer's question, is it okay to pray out loud? Yes, it's okay to pray out loud. Maybe in your closet you can pray out loud. Uh, we do have times of public prayer, and in those times, of course, somebody has to lead it and speak out loud, uh, and that's good and necessary in worship and other times, uh, but most of our prayer life ought to be by ourselves and with God. You can do that out loud, whispered, quiet, in your car, wherever you want. Uh, the Bible just doesn't give us a specific rule for prayer. All right, Toby, what are you, yeah. you are interested in? Cosmetology issue, I guess. Okay, okay, <laughs> go ahead. Does it say anywhere that in the Bible that on Sunday women can't wear makeup? Well, as you can probably tell, I'm an expert in this field. Uh, sarcastically of course uh, no the Bible does not say anything about that uh, and I know there are some religions that um, make up some some rules and uh, they try to really and they really have to stretch some Old Testament verses to uh, but it, it's used improperly out of context and no the Bible does not address the issue of wearing makeup on Sunday um, there are other verses that do deal with appearance. Uh, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Paul writes there to, to <clears throat> minister Timothy, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or <clears throat> gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Uh, what he's saying here is that not really any necessarily these things are bad, although in that culture they certainly had um, you dress that way, you were sending a, a message you really didn't want to send. Um, uh, what he's saying in here is that a Christian, for a Christian woman especially, your beauty, uh, the world focuses on the outward adornment and how you look outwardly. For a Christian, the beauty comes from the inner spirit. In fact, First Peter chapter 3, this verse won't be on the screen, but he, he says your beauty should not be from the outward adornment, but from your gentle and quiet spirit. These are the ways in which women of the past women of God of the past would make themselves beautiful. And so 
uh, there's this idea of inward beauty and outward beauty. Of course, the world uh, just absolutely, <laughs> unfairly so to women, sets this ridiculous standard of beauty with uh, uh, models that never eat and Photoshop and all sorts of stuff. And that, that's not what makes women beautiful. Uh, what makes them uh, beautiful has to do with their inner spirit and beauty. And that's what the Bible says about beauty. So uh, focus on the inward. Uh, I, it's fine for, for women to wear makeup and fine for them to wear it on Sunday as with anything else as long as it doesn't become a distraction or you try to put the focus all on you. When you come in together to worship, it's about putting the focus uh, where it belongs. So hope that is helpful. <clears throat> all right. Very good. Uh, what happened to Joseph? Viewer wants to know. Jesus' father, uh, Jesus' stepfather, technically, uh, Joseph, who married Mary. Uh, what happened to him? Well, I can answer this one real quickly. I have no idea. Absolutely no idea because the Bible doesn't say. Uh, just doesn't talk about it. That he's there to start. He takes the family to Egypt to save them from Herod. Uh, he brings them back to uh, Nazareth. And then he just kind of fades out of the picture. It doesn't, it doesn't fade out. He disappears. Uh, we don't hear anything about him. Uh, people s speculate about it. He was uh, very likely older than Mary. Uh, how much older, we don't know. Uh, so he was an older man, and people assume he died at a and young age before Jesus was crucified. But by the time Jesus crucified, Mary is obviously alone. Uh, Joseph just not in the story. So we don't know. God didn't choose to tell us. Um, that's all we can say on that one. <laughs> we invite you to visit church sometime. Uh, we are kept on the air by Churches of Christ, and we like to mention one or two of those each week and uh, tell you about them. And today we're going to talk about the home church of Know Your Bible. Northside Church of Christ up on North Meridian. If you live in the Wichita area, heading from Wichita up to Valley Center, you'll pass us right there on uh, north of Highway 96, and we'd be happy to have you visit any time. That's where Toby and I attend, and uh, we'll be happy to meet any of our viewers any time. And we get a lot of guests that uh, drop in to see the home church of Know Your Bible and what we do there. Uh, so you're always welcome. Uh, we've got a couple of really good programs there. One is called Celebrate Recovery. Uh, if you're dealing with things in your life that uh, you have hurts or habits or hang-ups that are affecting you and others, a uh, great program on Thursday nights starts at 7 o'clock uh, where folks help each other uh, with biblical principles about how to get their lives going the right direction. So Celebrate Recovery is a good one. And if you've got a teenager you're trying to raise in this old world, you know you've got a lot of competition. Uh, well, Northside would like to come along beside you in that. We've got a great youth group. Uh, new youth minister is doing a great job. and uh, We're a big help to teenagers, I think, and young people in this world. and I think they need all the help they can get, and parents need all the help they can get. We're very pro-family at Northside, so uh, drop in and visit us. But wherever you live, uh, if it's not in the Wichita area, it's probably a Church of Christ near you. Uh, tell them you appreciate them keeping Know Your Bible on the air. Uh, come see us at Northside sometime. All right. Oh, you got the next one on Melchizedek. Oh, yeah, an easy one. Okay, yeah, tell us about Melchizedek. Who was, who was Melchizedek, our viewer asks, and how did he have no beginning or end? 
Well, Melchizedek is a very unique and strange character in the Bible. He's uh, mentioned about five places in Scripture according to my count. Uh, Genesis chapter 14, Psalm 110, and Hebrews chapter 5, 6, and 7. And uh, in those places we get these very strange pictures. Uh, we can look at the first time he's mentioned. We'll look at the verse on the screen from Genesis chapter 14. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. <clears throat> uh, he was seemed obviously a king, and he was a, a priest to whom Abram offered a tithe. And so his priesthood was different because, of course, that was the time before the Levitical priesthood, before under, under that system of worship. So he was the king of Salem. In some sort of uh, fashion, he was a priest of God. And so much so, and Abraham, or Abram uh, uh, respected him, that he gave him a tenth, and he must have been a godly character. And he was uh, certainly someone that, uh, if Abram respected him, he was uh, uh, the real deal, shall we say. Uh, but the Bible doesn't give us many other descriptors about him. Uh, he was later referred to as a type of Christ, of course, being a king and a priest, which, of course, would foreshadow the coming, the true king of kings and our high priest that we have in Christ. Um, we look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 3 now on the screen. It says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham, returning from the defeat of the kings, and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. And some people get into that, well, was, okay, was he fully a human being? Was he something different? Uh, we just don't know. I think it's more talking about the idea that he didn't have a genealogy, he didn't have a heritage, which of course would have connected him to the Jewish picture. Uh, but we really just don't know. The Bible chooses to remain silent on who Melchizedek was, only that he was a type of Christ and a foreshadowing of a higher priest, Christ. All so. righty. Very good. What does double-tongued mean is our last question for the day. Viewers read that in the, the New Testament and want to know what it's mean. It, he found it in 1 Timothy 3.8, I'm pretty sure. So let's look at that. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.8 says, Deacons, likewise, should be dignified, not double-tongued. And it says that in almost every translation. There's one or two that say they should be sincere. So that gives us a little clue. Uh, but double-tongued means exactly what it says. It means saying two things. Uh, being double-tongued means not being sincere, being hypocritical, if you will. A uh, quick example, I hope, hope you understand it. If I tell Toby when we're done, you did a great job today, Toby. You got all the questions right. It was wonderful. And then I go home and tell my wife, boy, Toby was horrible today. He just didn't, he didn't get right, anything right. And it was all, that's saying two things. That's double-tongued. Well, if you talk good to somebody and then talk bad about them to somebody else, you're not sincere, you're not honest, you're double-tongued. All right, trivia question for the day. Let's answer that. 
how many wise men visited baby Jesus? I imagine most of you guessed three. If you guessed, we have no idea. The Bible, <laughs> the Bible says there were three gifts, but it doesn't say how many wise men there were. So we're out of time today for questions. Uh, you look that one up, you won't find how many wise men there were. Glad you've been with us today. We hope you come back next week as we answer some more of your questions. And uh, we'll be studied up and ready to go on some of the good ones. Until then, we just hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.